Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Mark Batterson. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. On a Sunday morning in 1851, during a church service, a little bit like this, a 40-year-old mother of seven, Harriet Beecher Stowe, had a vision of a slave being beaten to death. That vision left her so shaken that she would uh, hardly keep from weeping days on end. She went home and started writing a book that we know as Uncle Tom's Cabin. That book was released 170 years ago today. The initial print run, 5,000 copies, sold out in less than two days, which is saying something because only 3% of books sell 5,000 copies. The the book was banned in the South, but it sold 300,000 copies its first year. It pricked the conscience of a nation, would sell millions of copies. It could be argued that no book save the Bible has changed the course of history more definitively than Uncle Tom's cabin. Harriet Beecher Stowe would devote much of her time, uh, talent, and treasure to the abolition of slavery when Harriet met President Lincoln a decade after writing that book. He is purported to have said, so you're the little woman who started this great war. On November 5, 1872, Susan B. Anthony cast a ballot in Rochester, uh, New York, for the presidential election. Uh, She was arrested, convicted of voting illegally. And Susan B. Anthony, of course, would devote the next 50 years of her life to a cause that was once considered a crime, a woman's right to vote. She didn't live to see the 19th Amendment pass, but her courage was the key catalyst in that cause. By the way, she celebrated her 86th birthday here in DC. And these are her final public words. With women consecrating, with such women consecrating their lives, failure is impossible. You go ladies, come on. On December 1st, 1955, a seamstress named Rosa Parks boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus. When asked to give up her seat in the colored section, Rosa Parks refused. She took a stand by remaining seated. People always say I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true, said Rosa. The only tired I was was tired of giving in. Amen. You know, at some point, enough is enough. Slavery has to be abolished. Sexism has to stop. Discrimination has to end. At some point, you have to exercise your courage by standing against that which is wrong, by standing for that which is right. You have to write the book like Harriet Beecher, so you have to cast the vote like Susan B. Anthony. You have to take a stand like Rosa Parks. That's what courage is. That's what courage does. Welcome to National Community Church. I wanna say again to our extended family online, we're just thrilled that you're a part of this family all around the world. Shout out to our campuses, uh, Nova, of course, Cap Hill, 
And Lincoln Theater, and I just want to say that this is a unique day because uh, Pastor Dave Schmidgall uh, has not only been the campus pastor at our Lincoln Theater since its inception, uh, predates that to the Gala Theater. Some of you have a lot of history with NCC, has served so well. Uh, today, uh, Pastor Dave hands that baton to Pastor Jamika, and uh, we are so excited about the anointing that's on her life. There is a calling that God has given her to step in to that place, and uh, we just want to celebrate that across the board. So ready or not, here we go. We've talked about the courage of conviction uh, embodied by Queen Vashti. We've talked about the uh, courage of inconvenience epitomized by a man named Mordecai. And this weekend we talk about Esther and the courage of calling. Now, before we jump in, there's a lot of subplots in this book uh, that are easily overlooked. And one of them is the fact that Esther was an orphan. We don't know the circumstances in which she lost her mother and father, but we do know that someone stepped up and stepped in, a man named Mordecai. Now, I just wanna say that I think few things are as courageous, and, and we've got a lot of foster parents, adoptive parents at NCC. Uh, I think about Dan and Melissa Cummins and, and many others. And I, just, I just wanna say that that's the courage of calling, and we, just, we honor you. Can we honor that? Um, and, and so I think sometimes we, we, we read a, look, a book like this and, and it's almost like, no, this is a real book about real people with, and, and Esther's in a very real situation, but Mordecai steps in. And so I wanna say, if that might be a calling that, that God is stirring in your spirit, dc127.org might be a great place to just kind of check it, check it out. I don't think anything's more noble. We, we tend to think about, oh, let's impact the masses, right? Let's do something big that everybody notices. I'm telling you, the greatest courage in the world are, are the moms and dads who make sacrifices day in and day out, those who step in, foster, adopt. And, uh, and so praise God. All right, ready or not, let's jump in. Courage is not just one of the virtues, said C.S. Lewis, but the form of every virtue at its testing point. I think courage is where conviction meets compassion. And few people are more courageous than Esther. We need an Esther anointing right about now. Uh, we uh, need to stand in the gap. Uh, Esther sacrificed her safety for others. We'll see that in a moment. I think part of courage is risking your reputation what other people will think or say or do. But, but listen, at the end of the day, courage is doing what's right, regardless of circumstances, consequences, or cost. I mean, there comes this moment, if I perish, I perish. I'm just gonna go all in, let's go, it's go time. This is a moment to exercise. And I just believe that there is a moment for, for all of us and, and we're in one of those seasons. It just takes a little bit more courage to follow Christ and live by biblical convictions, does it not? And so we're praying for that revival of courage in each one of us. Now, critical junctures in our lives, 
situations present themselves that call uh, for courage. And in those moments, what I've learned is either you're going to let fear or faith dictate your decision. Either you're gonna be afraid of offending people or you're gonna be afraid of offending God. And those are two very different, either you're gonna play it safe or you're gonna take a risk. And, and these are the days when decades happen. And so I, I'm not gonna deep dive this, but uh, hermeneutics, the science of interpreting scripture, they, we talk a lot about context and it's so critical. I love the genre in the Bible that is historical. Um, when you read biography, and this is true of reading memoirs, it's both a window and a mirror. It's a window into real people in real time with real problems. And so we get to learn from Esther, but it's also a mirror, isn't it? That reflects on us. Okay, what does this say to me about how I'm exercising courage in my own life? And so we're gonna look through the window. We're gonna look through the mirror. And uh, I believe God's gonna give us the courage to live according to biblical convictions, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can meet me in Susa, the ancient Persian empire, uh, book of Esther. We'll get there in a moment. I, I just, I had this little kind of elbow that I was thinking about courage this week. And I was thinking about some of the moments when maybe I've gotten it right and exercised courage and maybe some of the moments where I didn't. I just wanna level, level the playing field. You know, we celebrated our 16th anniversary at Ebenezer's, uh, our coffee house on Capitol Hill. And, and it's such an amazing story. It's coffee with the cause. And, uh, you know, Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. So, but something happened this week. It triggered a memory, the, the anniversary. And I went back to 18 years ago. Um, we were getting some opposition from our community. Um, in, in part because it was a church starting the coffee house. And there's a certain level of cynicism or skepticism sometimes. Every business is owned by someone, come on. Like we're just gonna operate it based on principles that, that are biblical. And so, but we were getting some pushback like, and I remember this community meeting because we needed some approval. You, you can't get much done in DC without a little bit of, approval. And, and so there was this meeting that I'll be honest, I walked into it timid and someone asked the question, what does Ebenezer's mean? Well, we know what it means, don't we? It means first uh, Samuel seven twelve. hitherto the Lord has helped us. There were so many miracles in that journey that we thought we're just going to call it what it is so far. So God, in fact, uh, I, I grabbed a latte this morning cause I needed it. And there's a little, uh, if you ever get one of our coffee sleeves, it says SFSG. Looks like a SKU code, but it stands for so far, so God. But can I tell you where it comes from? In that community meeting, it just, it breaks me down for some reason. Someone asked what it means and I chickened out and I said, it means so far, so good. And I took God out of the equation because I was afraid of front loading and, and I'll never forget after the meeting, my wife's voice is as close to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit as you can get. And any married couples, aren't you grateful that we can love each other in that way? And there was just this moment of conviction where I just, I, I was, I chickened out. 
And I made a vow, never again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so sometimes I'll even go out of my way in a setting where, and I'm very, very careful, okay? It, it, wow, I'm so off script. (laughs) It takes courage to preach on a street corner, but I wanna see that through two angles. It it takes courage. Sometimes I wonder, and there's sometimes some divine appointment and it has a positive impact, but but sometimes there's also a negative impact and almost like an allergic reaction. And so I'm not, do do you get what I'm saying? I'm taking a risk here. Like, I'm not saying that you like belligerently get in people's face. I'm just saying that you authentically, organically, the only way we got here is God. So far, so God. And so if there are moments in your life like mine where you lack the courage and you felt the conviction, it's like, ah, I missed it. I missed the opportunity and leverage that regret into more courage the next time. Amen? Amen. Susa was the capital city of the ancient Persian empire. You'll see it on the screen, Uh, almost due east from Babylon. And like, I mean, this is like, okay, so what I'm getting at is the king basically ruled the whole world, almost. Like most powerful person on the planet, Um, Susa, kind of right, right there. And you know, this is a real place, okay? This is where Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. This was the setting where Esther is, is queen and lives in the palace and uh, entered into a beauty pageant of sorts. Susa was the epicenter of the ancient world. When, when someone coughed in Susa, the whole world got a cold or COVID. Too soon? (laughs) After the Babylonian captivity, many Jews returned to their homeland, to Jerusalem, but many of them stayed where they were. Uh, Esther is one such person. Now the Midrash uh, commentary on the Old Testament describes this period of history as uh, as darker than night. Very dark time in human history but also describes Esther in this beautiful word picture as the morning sun rising on a nation, rising on a generation. I say, do it again, God. Let your people rise and shine your courage in Jesus' name. One theological footnote, book of Esther is unique because it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God, not even once. And yet no book celebrates the sovereignty of God on par with so many supernatural synchronicities. God's in the business of positioning us in the right place at the right time with the right people. Here's the catch. Often the right place seems like the wrong place. We all want a miracle. No one wants to be in a situation that necessitates one. But you can't have one without the, all of us like courage, courage, courage. No one wants to be in a situation that requires courage. No, No one in Ukraine wants to be where they are right now. But those are the moments where courage is not the absence of fear, it's facing those fears 
and refusing to back down. So we love this little phrase in Esther 4.14, right? We put it on pieces of art for such a time as this. And it's so poetic and it's so idyllic. But, but this is when all hell breaks out. That this is when an entire Jewish race is threatened with genocide. That this is a low point in human history, but we are here for such a time as this, such a place as this. This is when and where and how the people of God step up and step in. And so, uh, long story short, man named Haman, I think on, on par with Putin, huge ego, um, could care less about, I mean, gonna kill an entire race of people because one person won't bow down. And so that's where we pick up the story. A little bit of backstory. We're gonna get to Esther. Uh, Esther 3.2, it says, Mordecai bowed not. Why? For the same reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow. Worship the Lord your God only. I'm not gonna bow down. I don't care how big your ego is. I'm not gonna bow down to it. I'll worship God and God alone. You're, you're not the boss of me. That's what my kids used to say. <laughs> if you let fear dictate your decisions, you'll bow down to popular opinion, to political correctness, to trending hashtags, and to whoever has the loudest voice or the biggest ego. That's just not how we roll as the people of God. Um, we don't bow down to the things of this world, but here's the catch. If you don't know what you stand for, you'll bow down to this, that, and the other thing. Let me flip the script. How big and how fragile does your ego have to be to issue a government mandate that everybody must bow down when you walk by? You are compensating for something. And that something is insecurity. It always is. Haman gets all bent out of shape because one man, Mordecai, won't bow down. And we think he's crazy. But I wonder how many of us want people to bow down to our every whim and wish. We all have control issues, do we not? Like my way or the highway. And it's really hard to sanctify that ego, right? It's one of the last things to get sanctified. So he, here's the crazy thing about uh, the story. Um, and I would say this first, getting people to bow down to you is exhausting. Just stop. It's just so exhausting. And, and if they, like, at the end of the world, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller until the only thing that fits in your tiny little universe is your ego. It's just, just no way to live. But here's the crazy thing. So it was Haman's injured ego that makes him so mad that he builds gallows to kill the person who will not bow and ends up impaled by his own ego. That's the story in a nutshell. Your ego's gonna get you impaled. Lord, sanctify our egos instead of all of these defense mechanisms. Sanctify it. Lord gave me a word. I think it's a word of knowledge because it came out of nowhere. Here, here is, someone needs to hear this. Haman is the problem here, right? 
And that's why the whole story goes south. But, but I would say to Haman, come on, bro. Like you, you have all the power, all the wealth in one person not bowing down is gonna let you get all bent out of shape. And so I'm gonna kind of twist the narrative here and just say, don't let one person ruin your life. That's the word. Don't let one person, you're letting them live in your head. Don't let one person, don't let one thing, don't let one mistake ruin your life. Can I just online in the house at our campus, am I in the right room? It, who, show me some hands. Who else has at some point in your life let one mistake, one person, one situation, and, and it's the negativity bias. And like our whole life is terrible because one person won't bow down to us. Come on, can we get past that? Can we get over that? Because if we don't, we're gonna find ourselves as the bad guy in the book of Esther. Okay, how are we doing? All right. Whew. And by the way, you don't have to major in political science to know that ego is a huge piece of Putin's puzzle. So Lord, we pray, break it in Jesus' name. God, Help those who are innocent, who are being bombed, whose lives are being destroyed, the refugees who are fleeing for say, oh God, oh God, oh God. When we don't know what to pray, we say mercy. Help, help Lord, in Jesus' name. Let me fast forward. Haman rolls dice, they're called Pur, and we'll come back to that. Orders the genocide of the Jews, and that's where we pick up the story. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. I mean, wouldn't you? In part, listen to me, in part, because it's his integrity in not bowing down that brings about this mandate. Like, don't, don't tell me he's not dealing with a few like, did I do the right thing? Should I have compromised for everybody else? Like, are you... There's a lot of layers here. And I think a lot of us are tempted to compromise for other people. Right, right. Oh, okay, so that's what you're doing. Right. <laughs> it says he put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, only went as far as the king's gate. I'll come back to that. Because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter. And I'm, I'm just going to stop there for the sake of time. You can read this whole chapter. But putting on sackcloth and ashes was a form of ancient grieving. And, and it's another one of these subplots that I feel like I can't, I can't afford just to read right over it because these are the circumstances that bring about the situation. So it, putting on sackcloth and ashes is almost like admitting and identifying and processing the pain. And if you don't process the pain, you will project the pain. Because hurt people hurt people. And forgiven people forgive people. 
You have to name the loss. Because if you don't, it will own you. I'm gonna say a couple of things about grieving. Because it, it takes courage to grieve. Because that's not what our culture's into. It takes courage to get counseling. It takes courage to go to AA or celebrate recovery. Those are the courageous people. Yes? So stick with me for a minute here, okay? A couple of things. One, it's okay to not be okay. Life is lived in seasons. There are seasons of suffering. There are seasons where you get a cancer diagnosis more than once like Laura and I have. And it just sucker punches you. And it's okay in seasons like that to not be okay. We put emotions into categories of positive and negative. And this is a guy on the strengths finder that positivity is one of my strengths. So I've had to work really hard to learn the language of lament. I have to work really hard to identify because I repress feelings of sadness. Come on. But counseling has helped me. Okay, that's where it's coming from. You know what? It, it was in a conversation with another pastor over dinner like three months ago that we both like came to this moment of realization. I think we're grieving. Because over the last couple of years, there's been loss, yes? Can I just apologize for something? I, I said cold and then I said COVID. Those are two different things. Jesus. I apologize. Jesus. It's almost everybody in this Jesus. room has been touched by someone. It's lost a life. It's impacted our way of life. So I just, there was a check in my spirit when I said that. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So I apologize for Thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you. Negative emotions, quote unquote, are healthy and holy. Amen. God gave them to us but we have to learn how to process it. And so part of the genius of Judaism is that there were guidelines and timelines for grieving. Okay, because, so if you lament, lament is, there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentation. So if we're not doing it, we're missing a whole book in the Bible. Now, careful, repenting and lamenting are two different things. Repenting is a sin that you've committed. Lamenting is something that someone else has done, but you mourn with those who mourn. Like you, you, and if we get those two things confused, then there's false shame and false guilt. But we've gotta to learn to lament, but at some point, if you don't come out of the lamenting, it turns into languishing, which is the opposite of flourishing. So somehow, some way, we've gotta work through it. Now, notice what Esther does. She sends Mordecai clothes. See, this is what we do. This is what we do. No, no, no. Don't, don't, sackcloth and ashes, stop grieving, right? We, and what happens is that's when helping hurts. Right. 
This is Peter saying to Jesus, no, 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 you're not going to the cross. These are the harshest words of Jesus in the gospels. Get behind me, Satan. You have to let me suffer. You have to let me go to the cross. This is my expression of courage. This is my calling to pay for sin for all time. But we want to short circuit it. We want to help the caterpillar out of the chrysalis. And by doing so, that person will never fly. Grieving is as unique as you are, as unique as your fingerprint. So don't, don't short circuit it. It, it, you have to somehow, some way embrace it. But if you do it by yourself, you're in trouble. Right. At least Esther has Mordecai and Mordecai has Esther. Can I, can I just, I just think people need encouragement. In courage, mint. Right. Like courage is really hard to come by if you're discouraged. Right. Can I just say, Laura and I have so much love and respect for single parents. I think it's heroic to me because it probably isn't the situation that you signed up for, you know, somehow, some way, but, but you don't always have the relief picture because what I've learned in marriage is sometimes like on an off day, you need your wife to be on, right? right? right. On a bad day, you need to be, them to be at their best and like you have a relief picture, but I think with single parenting and, and some, you know, extended family, good friends can really, really help. A church family can rally, rally. But I'm just saying, single parents, we love you. We bless you. It takes a lot of courage to kind of carry a little bit more weight than, yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Last thing I'm gonna say is that life is lived in season. So you just, you need to know what season you're in. Is it a season of grieving? Is it a season of courage? Or you gotta dig deep, okay? There comes a moment sometimes in a message where you realize, whoo, that was a series. <laughs> I'm just gonna pay attention to kind of what's happening right here. We're not even gonna get to Esther. Come on. I'll just figure out, we'll figure out something. Pastor Joel said something week one. If you succeed without suffering, someone else did. Right. If you suffer without succeeding, someone else will. Good. I just think there's something there for us to just keep leaning into. That pain is not without gain. God is in the business of recycling and redeeming and yeah, it's probably gonna take courage in a moment where let's fast for three days and if I perish, I perish, right? But here's what I wanna do. We're actually gonna skip over kind of the, the heart of the story, basically the whole part I wanted to preach this weekend. <laughs> and we're gonna go to the end of the book, Esther chapter nine, because there's a promise that I want us to lean into and hold on to. Uh, it's a promise that to me is pretty powerful. So let me close with this. Uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote that book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Here's what she said. Never give up 
For that is just the place and time that the tide will turn. Just jot that little phrase down, that the tide will turn. Because I'm believing that for you. I'll just widen the aperture and say, the the book of Esther is all about ironic reversal. Um, Bible scholars love this idea of chiasm that a lot of books are structured with kind of mere images. And Esther is a classic example. Um, In the beginning, King Xerxes throws a party, 187 days. That's a party. Yes, that's a party. But who's partying, partying at the end? Mordecai and the Jewish people are partying at the end. Um, you've got an evil man named Haman who is promoted to second in command. But, but what happens at the end? A righteous man named Mordecai takes his position. Uh, Haman rolls the dice. Remember the purr? And it turns into Purim, this annual festival, this annual celebration of the courage of Esther that saved the people. Uh, you, you've got Haman building gallows that he ends up on. I mean, just the, the ironic reversals in this book are ridiculous. But to me, Esther 9.1 is the turning point. This is the day when decades happen. Here it is. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. But what edict? This edict that all the Jews would be killed. And on this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned. The tables were turned. The tables were turned. The tables were turned. Now I have images because there are moments where you got to walk into the temple because people have turned it into a den of thieves and turn over some tables like Jesus. But, but I think this is what we're leaning into in this book. We're just, I'm just believing. Some of you need a breakthrough. You need healing. You need, you've been praying for someone for so long. Believing for revelation of God's love. Believing for prodigals to come home. But believing, oh God, God, I'm tired of the anxiety of the depression. Where's that breakthrough? I just think there comes a moment where God can turn the tables. Part of why I love this is it's almost like I've seen a time lapse over the last couple of years and I'm almost done. I have a friend who plays in the NFL. You would know his name. He's a high profile, plays a position that you don't do anything that doesn't get noticed. And and I've known him for many years. And there's a group of us that are part of his prayer team. Every week we get updates and we pray into. Here's what's interesting. For the last three or four years, we pray this verse. Turn the tables, turn the tables. Because you can't play in that kind of position without, you've got coaches and news media and players and, and one bad game and the whole narrative shifts. And, but man, so many times we prayed this prayer, Lord, turn the tables, turn the table. And I, I won't get into details, but there have been so many moments that our prayer team has doubled back and said, look at what God just did. Amen. He turned the tables again and again and again. And it's not like we ever get into this place of zero gravity where no one's criticizing us and all's good. Like no more intense conversations in our marriage. We're good now. (laughs) By by the way, Laura and I were talking about it this week. And I'll just say one of our regrets and regrets a good thing. I'm going to talk about it in two weeks. 
if you leverage it the right way. One of our regrets is that we didn't have the courage to get counseling early in our marriage. We both said that. I, we think that, and we're great, okay? Just don't put everybody at ease. <laughs> we're, we're 29 years into this thing, it's going good, okay? Uh, love, love my wife and even more amazingly, she loves me. <laughs> but, you know, it's lacking some of the courage to maybe get some of that help early on that would have maybe uh, made things a little bit better, easier out of the gate. But long story short, I'm just believing for you that God wants to turn the tables. He can do it. He can do it. And so the worship team's gonna come and uh, online, just uh, listen, our, our prayer team ready, waiting, available. Um, if you need prayer, you, you can, we, we wanna pray with you and we're gonna enter into a time of worship. But I think the lyrics to this song are so powerful. They're, they're lyrics that I feel like um, they're a prayer. And what you're gonna notice is that there's a moment about halfway through that goes from future tense to present tense. And uh, we're gonna sing it, we're gonna pray it. Would you prophesy your praise today? You think about that thing that you're believing God for and let's see what God begins to do. Maybe, just maybe, this is the 13th day of the 12th month. Or what is, well, on our calendar, it was March 7. But that's the day. The day that was meant for evil. God, turn the tables. Yes. Look at what the Lord can do.